So my name is Taina Evans, and today is November 21st, 2015, and I'm here with Susan Frazier at the Clinton Hill Library for Our Streets, Our Stories, a project of oral history, and where were you born? Or I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, and I came to New York City to go to college in Manhattan in 19, something like 1976, and um, I lived in Manhattan for some years after that. So um, it's not a real quirky story, um, because I, in those years it was more, considered more high status to live in Manhattan. A lot of people, it was hard to even get them to come visit you out in Brooklyn. And so I had no plans really to move to Brooklyn. Um, and I, I knew nothing about Brooklyn. I realized I was kind of blinkered back then. I, I, it was maybe all I could really do to learn about Manhattan and New York City. And I didn't know anything about Brooklyn. And I thought it was kind of a strange place where people talked strange. And uh, then uh, the Another way it wasn't that quirky is that I moved to Brooklyn before, really because it was where I could afford to live. Um, I don't know how the, these really uh, more affluent or successful people, how they could get that much money to pay those rents in Manhattan. I never figured that out. So I, um, I moved to Brooklyn, I think, I first moved to um, Dumbo, and I I, I sublet a, a loft in Dumbo for a while, and um, that was really that kind of lived up to the reputation of a very dangerous neighborhood back then, <laughs> and the person it's not really funny, but uh, I. I signed the agreement with the artist whose loft it was, and she was a very kind of hard-headed together person who knew how to run her career. And I didn't find till after I had signed that the reason she was moving out was because her her boyfriend had been seriously injured by kind of muggers or something outside the outside the subway station. Some, they had hit him over the head with a two by four, and he almost died. So. Uh, that was, that was um, not that, I don't know, not that surprising given that this woman was something of a smoothie, I guess. <laughs> she was a smoothie and she didn't let that slip until she had the reliable tenants in Dumbo. But it was kind of scary back then. There was really, it was the the big projects there, I'm not sure if it's Farragut houses or Ingersoll houses, but it was very much uh, a feeling like those people have been just kind of dumped there, you know, to get them out of the way. Now, of course, it's this whole like super duper, <laughs> super duper expensive neighborhood that you wouldn't even recognize. It's a beautiful neighborhood. I mean, a wealthy neighborhood. 
you know, I think, I'm sure there's a lot of beautiful people in the projects back then, but I, I only experienced kind of the scary people. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so then I, uh, I had to move out of there because she actually decided to come back, so we had to leave, which was just as well. And um, by that time, I had a boyfriend. And um, we ended up finding a place we could afford here in Clinton Hill. And um, it was a one bedroom floor through in a brownstone for $800 a month. And um, so that was the first of our happy home in Brooklyn. <laughs> so that was, I, I liked the neighborhood when I first got here. Mm, what yeah. That was um, 80, something like 85. And um, years ago. yeah, it was quite a few years ago. And um, compared to my sister's neighborhood in Park Slope, it was actually more friendly here. So we found it was a friend, it was a friendly neighborhood here. And beautiful in the spring, they had the flowering trees, the beautiful Victorian brownstones. So I I liked it from the beginning, even though it was it was it was also kind of rough neighborhood back then, also here. And there were like uh, you know more like people burning um, in, in garbage cans. They'd burn stuff to keep warm on a cold night, and like stray dogs kind of wandering around. Um, but it was, there were still a lot of middle class people who had stayed around, and I kind of met them on my block. And uh, they were friendly, so that was really nice. And um, so we got married, which was, which was a happy, <laughs> happy ending for me, I must say. I mean, it, of course, it's not always, it's always ongoing, but, um, and, uh, we started a family and we moved to a two-bedroom condo with one and a half baths and a parking space <laughs> on, uh, on um, Grand Avenue. And um, so we, we've been there ever since. So, um, and that was a housing preservation and development project. It was, they had a bunch like that, um, middle class condos and I think they they did successfully stabilize the middle class in the neighborhood because there were subs there's been a couple of subsequent real estate crashes but the neighborhood continued to be stable and now it's almost you'd say it's destabilized in the other direction that it's going crazy with the high high-end condos and everything but when we moved in we had uh, we, I was pregnant when we moved in, very pregnant, and I couldn't even, I couldn't even be there because they, I was hospitalized with gestational diabetes when we were planning, when we were, the day came to move into our condo, and um, so my husband had to do it um, with the help of, of some men with a van, and um, it was, 
it was it was a lot it was stressful but I, I, I don't even remember it that well um, but um, we my husband had a good job and I became a stay-at-home mom for seven years which I really enjoyed a lot <laughs> of course I I, uh, I know there's many different ways it's not good for everybody it really isn't so um, and I had some friends in the condo who also had little children and it was just um, some visiting back and forth every day and, and going to the playground and seeing people and um, those were, you know, very busy but happy years and the irony is um, that um, we would be like sitting on our stoops and it was kind of a rough neighborhood and there's some kind of crack, crackheads coming back and forth once in a while. But it was still, we were like, we were like the, well, you know, we were like the really high-functioning people on the hill back then. And um, the dads would come home with their suits on, and the little kids would come to meet them. And the moms would, you know, go inside and make dinner or something. And that, and we were kind of like, you know, our cars were not getting repossessed, and we weren't having all these stresses that some of the lower-income people were having. And now the... Um, our condo, you know, our, our value has gone up maybe five times at least. But the other people are now the more affluent people. And we've had, we're struggling more economically. So we've kind of uh, decreased in our economic, <laughs> we've kind of gone up and down. But at least we're, we're still hanging on there. And um, it's just an irony, you know. We had a stability through our child raising years, so that's good. But it is emblematic. The middle class is having a harder time. People get, people get um, downsized a lot. The corporations don't want to have loyalty to their employees. That's out way out the window. So, um, so that's kind of the irony. And now, all these web developers—I don't even know what—but well-off people, or maybe people with family money, live in the neighborhood now you do see kind of very um people who seem very carefree like they can just buy whatever they want you know walking around with their they have cute little kids you know so that's <laughs> that's nice but they they have nannies i never thought i'd see nannies pushing expensive you know uh expensive strollers down the street with these uh they're cute little kids but um so that's kind of the in a nutshell <laughs> that's kind of the story of me moving to Brooklyn but, and Clinton Hill but I made I did make friends and I do feel like sometimes I think we should sell cash out you know and move someplace we can really afford and get financial stability but I would hate to um you know, where would I live with all, I, I would leave all my connections and friends, my community garden, my church, you know, Where's I don't know. Hollenbeck? No, actually it's Green Acres on Franklin and Green. So, yeah, I know the Hollenbeck people, <laughs> but uh, um, that's where, that's, that's the, not the end of the story, but uh, the uh, most recent chapter. Have you visited the library? Oh yeah, I I do have some very nice memories of this library. Um, 
Let's see now. I remember coming to a jazz concert here and just like real old pro jazz guys and there was an audience of maybe maybe you know maybe 12 people with the kids and and uh, I was proud of my kids because they could sit you know and pay attention <laughs> and the jazz guys were they were your cool cats and they would just you know take the A train really meant a lot here and it was uh, that was really that was really fun to go to a free concert in your local library and another fun memory was coming here um, because my oldest was just very good at origami and um, even at a young age like maybe six or, or so um, or seven she could fold some of these a uh, little bit more complicated origami and I saw they had a uh, origami session so we could not miss that so we put on all our <laughs> you know our boots and our snow pants or it was really cold and we made it here through this very cold weather you know at, through the dark and we came in here and sure enough it was golden you know warm light and the origami lady was sitting there and she had come from her sick bed and her voice was she could hardly talk but she really wanted to do this origami session she took origami very seriously which was kind of funny she did like no sense of humor, but she was great at bargaining. And, and uh, when I came in, I saw there was an age limit because maybe they didn't want little kids that just couldn't do it. And my my kid was under the age limit, but she could do those. She could do those little uh, butterflies, etc. So I was I was very proud of her. What else make up or made up your community? Um, hmm, um, I do think of, um, I do think of, we made friends with, um, an older retired woman across the street, Mrs. Thomas. Maybe I should ask her if she would want to do an oral history. She has a long history here. Um, um, but also the community, I got very involved in the community garden for the last 15 years or so, so, yeah, so, um, that's been very important to me, and, um, How did that come about? What sparked your interest? That one, that sparked my interest because I had plants from my condo. I'd been the, most of the garden committee at the condo, and they employed a, uh, suddenly employed a, a professional landscaper, and they weed whack everything they don't recognize, so. I had to move some of my plants or else they'd get weed whacked to death. And I saw this new garden opening up and I just thought, oh, that was my thought, you know, it's a, it's a home for my plants which are in, in distress. So I went there and they were very open and they were appreciative, which a lot of places, you know, always like, I don't know about you or your plants, but they were very nice. And um, little by little this, uh, it had been started by locals, older locals, but also young um, environmentalists from a group called Times Up, I think, and bicyclists, and they, uh, I thought I was an environmentalist before, but I found out I had a lot to learn, and so I became a true, a true convert to, uh, although I don't bicycle, but I became a true convert to composting and, um, and 
using you know and renewable energy and um, zero waste and all, all those uh, so this is in the 90s yeah let's see no it was actually I I got involved it was started in 2000 because um, it was shortly before 9-11 it wasn't that much before so but it was yeah that also encompassed the uh, the real estate ups and downs because the building next door they basically couldn't sell it at almost any price and now it's probably worth at least a couple of million dollars so that was a big the big I can't even think of the word <laughs> something turning topsy-turvy topsy -turvy. yeah it is it's topsy-turvy so uh the local stores that you frequent? That is a good question because we always used to drive to Park Slope to do our, our, our shopping. Um, and on the one hand, I did try to patronize some of the local stores, but there were a lot of things that didn't, like you couldn't, there were no like gift stores or um, there were no like, well, like baby stores or, you know, I had to go to other neighborhoods to do a lot of shopping but I had actually lived for a year or so in Soho before I moved and I found out that it's it seems like great to live in a beautiful upscale neighborhood but it's over over time it's, it's depressing if you can constantly pass stores and restaurants that you can't afford to go to so in some ways going to the local uh, little mom-and-pop stores and buying a Penny candy, that was also shopping, and that was a lot, you know, I, it was in my price range, and, and uh, um, I was really happier in that environment than in, in, if I happened to get a really good deal in a, uh, you know, an expensive neighborhood, I think over time I, I would be less happy than just buying penny candy and, and uh, a few just streets and things around here. Were there a lot of stores around here? There were not a lot of stores. I mean, we moved in at the end of the first boom in the 80s, and there were a few gentrified stores that actually went out of business, were kind of design stores and stuff. Um, and uh, there was a... Actually, I, I should bring one of these cards to the local kind of, kind of junk store guy, because he... He's probably seen a lot of that kind of thing, but there was like a muffin store that kind of it's kind of like coffee and muffins, which is like a a gentrified type of an idea, and I like that little store, um, but it couldn't quite hang on <laughs> until the next real estate boom, and now of course there's uh, there's uh, you know uh, stores where you can get your Espressos and your lattes and your muffins and everything everywhere down the block. But the flea market was relatively yeah well attended here. Oh yeah, that was. But that was that's been there for like maybe ten years at the most. I would say, and I'm talking about back in yeah back in the nineties probably. Yeah, we couldn't even believe, it was funny, we couldn't even believe, we were, we were thinking like, oh, that store 
they're very hopeful to try and bring like a, an upscale classic Italian restaurant to our corner. That is hilarious. And it's still there, you know. It's still there. It's so funny. And uh, we thought the same thing about um, down the block, uh, kind of like a, a muffin and latte store was opening up. I cannot believe that putting all this money into making it look all nice, it's going to probably last like five months and it's still there too. People tapping away on their Apple computers, whatever they are. So now anything that opens up, it wouldn't surprise us. Yeah, I forgot. That's funny. I'll have to remind my kids that it wasn't that long ago and I'm like, oh boy, that person is <laughs> pretty crazy. Any of the parks that you um, take yeah. your children to or frequent? Or? We would go to the, um, what we call the Green Park, which is, um, that is like, it's on Lafayette and, uh, I think it's Lafayette and Washington. Yeah. And, um, just, you know, there's, I push them on the swings, you know, endlessly. You know, it's fun. Um, but the Red Park, which is, I think it's a little close to us. I'm not sure where it is, but we consider that, like, too dangerous to go to. And for some reason, it was the location that it gentrified first, kind of, before, before the other one. I don't know why. Let me see. My daughter what, did an internship for a year or two at Fort Greene Park with the Fort Greene Conservancy. And so I got to know Fort Greene Park a little better. I didn't know it. I didn't know it back then. Um, yeah, that's... We did also drive to the parks in Park Slope there in the 90s to take our kids. Did they go to school? They went to school. Um, actually, they I managed to get them um, scholarships at a private school in Manhattan. So they went there until eighth grade. And then they went to Brooklyn Tech, which is not too far <laughs> from here. Yeah. So... Yeah, I see, I see the schools are, hopefully they're improving a lot around here. Because I think they used to be pretty bad, you know. Um, I actually took my oldest one to, um, I don't even remember the name, but she went to pre-K at a local school. And, uh, and, um, you know, back then it was like 92 or something like that. But they literally had to call the police at a, it was like a craft session for parents when there, a fight broke out, you know. And it was, I mean, it was really painful and mortifying for people that cared about that school. And, um, in a, you know, they also had, I found for some reason in the parents' room, they had like a book that was a magazine about handguns. It's like, I know, I couldn't, I'm like, is this really the librarians? They think, well, oh, people like guns, let me get a magazine about handguns. I never could have really, dis I, that was, it struck me so strange. I considered, like, confiscating it, and then I thought, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Um, 
but uh, that that school was not a good school. It did have like twenty three percent at grade level. We're gonna try, do better next year. <laughs> I think you know that was the the concept there was more that it was kind of like childcare or kind of a place for the children to go that was kind of it's kind of safe or socialized. I don't know, but hopefully more educational emphasis would be better. Great. Well, um, I guess, what lessons did you learn from this time in your life? What lessons? Quite oh. hell. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, I did learn I, I did learn about the value of staying in one place and it takes a long time to really understand and learn about um, in depth about people and institutions and environments um, and uh, I really you know I was a general liberal but I didn't really understand that everything that would go into to really uh, um, to really you know step by step getting to know other groups you know outside your own group besides just kind of being like <laughs> cheery you know kind of like uh, uh, what's how does that go live and let live or something, but it was more like actually getting to know the other other groups um, is a long process if you haven't grown up that way. So that was, and that is a very valuable process. I think you feel less, uh, you know, as a white person, I felt, felt less um, like I'm in a compound, uh, like a, like a, in, in you know like you can feel like oh I have it I have a great here but I can't really move around very much because I don't know all these other scary groups so you feel a little more freer if you get a little better understanding of the other groups in your city and your country what were the other groups that were living here in Clinton well mainly black Americans I would say they were um, they were Caribbean, you know, I didn't even know the difference so much between Caribbean. I hadn't really met people from Jamaica and stuff like that. So that was fun for me to learn about West Indian Americans here. Um, and also like a traditional church going. Um, I mean, my parents went to church, but not, uh, not, um, not like it played such a big role in their life as some people here in Clinton Hill. Was there anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to? I think we did. Yeah, I think we did really well. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you so much for all that. Taina? Taina. Oh, okay. <laughs>